Rippy Writes with Brian Scott Rippy. Transcript can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Thursday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We have Weldon Rodenberg coming out of what was like a two-week offseason, two-week podcast offseason for Weldon, talking Sean Payton and the Saints, and then some old Miss stuff at the end. He had some thoughts on Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg, uh, what he remembered about them in the evaluation process coming out of high school, which was uh, actually more than I expected Weldon would – well, I say that. Not more than I expected Weldon would know. He, had, uh, he, he looked into them more and evaluated them more than I thought they would a uh, high school quarterback from Utah, I guess is the best way to put it. So some interesting thoughts on that at the end, what um, – what this ad drop date means, like how rigid it can be between athletics and academics and all of that. So a lot of different stuff, but I really te- uh, texted him wanting him to come on after the Sean Payton news on Tuesday. We were going to do it Tuesday night for a Wednesday pod, but uh, Weldon is playing hurt. He's got the, uh, he's got the Rona and I think it's, uh, I think it's done a number on him for about a week. So we moved it to Wednesday feeling a little better. So I uh, appreciate Weldon's time and insight as always. I think you'll enjoy the conversation. Before we get to that, I want to remind you the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, I'm glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. They're the inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has propelled Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. Go check these guys out. Six and three night in college hoops last night. They have a above 500 record in the NBA with this model they're just testing and giving out for free. We've got NASCAR which they absolutely destroy coming up here in the next month. I'm going to have the NASCAR guy, uh, Skybox's NASCAR guru, on the pod at some point again to let me ask a bunch of really stupid questions about NASCAR as I try to learn that sport. So check them out. They're going to have a picks package to fit your price range. Hopefully some of you are still cashing your winnings from the historic 56-unit weekend a couple weekends ago. That was just an all-timer. Crushing it in the NFL. College basketball is their best model. You need to go check these guys out. If you're into sports wagering, you're really just leaving money on the table by not doing that. You're never going to consistently profit in the long run by using your own dumb brain. That's not an insult. We all have dumb brains when it comes to gambling. That's why casinos are around and sports books are around. They weren't built off losses. The professionals at Skybox will make sure you consistently profit over the long haul. And uh, you don't want to be texting the man on Sunday nights being like, well, you don't want the man texting you, actually. This is just a hell of an ad read, wondering where the cash is at. You need to be texting him, wondering where your supplemental income and beer money is coming that weekend. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. Use the promo code RIPPY, R-I-P-P-E-E. You'll get 20% off any uh, purchase. That'll let them know we sent you. They've also got a NASCAR package coming up um, that you can get, and you can use the promo code NASCAR for 30% off. I don't believe that's live yet. I'll double check. Stay tuned later in the week, but, uh, that's on the horizon. Check them out. Skyboxsportspicks.com. Podcast also brought to you by LB's University Avenue across from Kroger. Go see Greg. About to have a second location for Skybox in Glugstadt, right there in, uh, the Jackson area out there in Glugstadt. Greg's just going global. Oxford's so lucky to have LBs in the central Mississippi area will be just as lucky. If you're a Rippy Rights subscriber, that's rippyrights.substack.com. Type in your email. You get a free newsletter for me three to five times a week and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16 ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your weekend. Go in there, show him proof of subscription, and then go find your own favorites. 
whether that's lane train special, uh, all kinds of delicious sausage. Love the ribeye sausage. The filet burgers are awesome. Fresh seafood, all kinds of different cuts in there. Uh, Wagyu steaks. Uh, still love people sending me pictures of uh, different types of meat they got at LB's, even though I don't always know what it is because I'm far from a grilling expert. But check them out, LB's University Avenue, uh, the best place in Mississippi to get meat. All right, before we get to Weldon Rodenberg, I was actually going to drop this pod last night, but Ole Miss had a 6 o'clock basketball game against Arkansas. I was like, you know what, they're coming off a win, nice win against Florida. They played pretty good defense. Florida shot the ball horrifically, probably enough to give Ole Miss a chance to create some separation and actually win one. I was like, I will wait after the Arkansas game, offer some basketball thoughts uh, at the top in the open before we get to the Weldon conversation. Ole Miss lost – to Arkansas last night in a game in which they didn't reach 60 points. So here are my basketball thoughts before we get to Weldon Rodenberg. Ready? Buckle up. This is some in-depth stuff that you are probably not going to get anywhere else. Ole Miss cannot make perimeter jump shots. Ole Miss doesn't have a lot of dudes that can beat you off the dribble. Ole Miss defends pretty well, but they're so inept offensively that it doesn't really matter. Arkansas shot... Let's see, make sure I have this correctly. Arkansas shot 48% from the field. That is, what, 8 of 18 from three-point range. It's not terrible there. Ole Miss shot 34%. Ole Miss made four three-point attempts. 34% from the field. Ole Miss was 19 of 55 from the field. So, what does all that tell you? They're inept offensively. This has been Talking Basketball. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get to Weldon Rodenberg. All right, we now welcome on former Ole Miss recruiting specialist Weldon Rodenberg. We are here to talk baseball Hall of Fame voting and whether steroid cheaters should be uh, acknowledged into the Hall of Fame. Uh, no, that is not why we're here. That's uh, that's been an, I've just consumed enough of my reading material the last thirty six hours. Here to talk some uh, Sean Payton and Saints. Actually, we'll get to some Ole Miss at the end. I uh, gave Weldon like an entire three weeks of an off season, and then you come back playing hurt, little under the weather. What's up, man? Uh, I wish I could say I've been doing better. I've, I've had COVID for about nine days now. Uh, I've been really sick and <laughs> feeling pretty crappy here uh, for the entire time. Um, so it's actually been uh, pretty awful. But happy to be back for a little bit. Unfortunately, Sean Payton <laughs> added to my illness yesterday. And I know we're going to get into that a little bit, but I'm doing all right. I'll, I'll be fine. Yeah, you uh, you you were you were telling me yesterday you were under the weather, and then when you started giving me like the stats of it going a week long, I was like, "Damn, this this stuff's hitting you pretty hard." But um, hopefully, hopefully you're on the right side of it. Uh, honestly, I was texting you like I guess Tuesday about like like shoring up everything from the end of the season, and then like literally as that was happening, I was like, "Well, I'm watching Sean Payton's press conference. There's probably not a better person to have on that I know to talk." Uh, some Saints stuff, and let's just get to that off the top. It was – I don't even know. You follow the Saints more than I do, so I'll just pitch it to you. It seemed like from my vantage point, it was the – started as the typical, oh, Sean Payton might be going to the Cowboys, Sean Payton, you know, Bears. All that happens every year. And then there seemed to be, as the weekend hit, some real buzz about him just stepping away, not necessarily immediately going to something else. Is that generally how it played out? Yeah, I mean, I – once the like the Cowboys and Bears and oh he's gonna leave and go to another job like everyone I talk to I'm like that is not going to happen that doesn't happen in the NFL I try to tell all my friends you know I don't want to be that sports guy that like butts in the conversation be like hey you're actually wrong 
But, I mean, I think the last time an NFL sitting head coach left for another head coaching job was, like, Bill Parcells back in the day. I think he left the Pats to go to the Giants. Uh, might need some fat checking. But long story short, it just, just doesn't happen. Particularly and I was like 16 in years, in years into a job where you have the most stable job situation not named Belichick. Right. You, you paid $15 million a year. Like, there's no one money that can give you. There's no one that has a better situation. It's just not going to happen. And – um, Jay Glazer actually, when it comes to Sean Payton news, is is by far the best. No one else gets anything out of the Saints except for him. And once he, I guess that was on Monday, kind of started bringing it up, I was like, oh, this is this is very real. And then obviously, uh, Miss Benson was at a Mardi Gras event and she commented to it on it. And whenever she was non-committal, I was like, yeah, this is this is very serious. Like this is probably going to happen. And I, the timing to me is not that surprising. I think if you followed the Saints throughout this year and honestly just watch Peyton on the sidelines, he looked so dead. I mean, the Saints this year, for those obviously that follow, I mean, the amount of injuries and COVID, uh, it was an exhausting season following this team, not even considering the fact that they had the hurricane to start the season. You know, they're in Dallas and playing in Jacksonville. I mean, they were 5-2 and two and had played one home game. Um, and then Jameis gets hurt, and he has to deal with the Taysom Hill stuff, and Taysom gets hurt, and now it's Simeon. And it was just a lot. And that doesn't even include the fact that these past five years have been incredibly successful but have had endings and change and turnover that have been, I can just imagine from his perspective, just exhausting. And – uh, it's a super, super sad day. I mean, Sean Payton's my childhood. I mean, he was hired in Katrina. I was – that's 05, 06. So, I was in fourth grade. So, yeah, I remember the Jim Haslett days and the Aaron Brooks days, but I was still young. So, the majority of my childhood Saints have been in this golden era of success that has also included quite a bit of heartache. And, yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because when Drew retired – for the most of the fan base, including me, it was kind of time. But the the positive outlook was, well, we have Sean Payton, and he's the best coach in the NFL, not named Belichick, and he's going to figure it out as long as, you know, he and Loomis and Ireland are all combined to do this. Like, we're going to be just fine. Now it's a little bit different, and I don't know how they're going to go about it. There's a lot of different ways. The simple, you know, pedestrian NFL fan sees the Saints cap situation and says they're they're screwed for life. Anyone who follows the Saints know that this is maybe the best run organization, maybe in sports. Truly, there may not be an organization like them. They will figure the cap stuff out. Uh, but it might include losing some key players on a team that has a championship defense um, and an incredibly talented offensive line. Uh, I just it sucks. It, there is no way to put it else than that. It sucks. But I do think this this whole organization, this team, unless everyone jumps ship, uh, GM, assistant GM, you know, stuff like that, I think they're going to figure it out. But there's a lot of work to be done. And it's, it's going to be a very new and interesting offseason for a team that hasn't had a lot of turnover uh, really ever with this team. You mentioned the Glazer aspect of it. It's He's an inter- he's very plugged in, obviously, but like I always feel like people don't think of him as that because he does like the fitness stuff and he's been in TV shows and shit. I was watching 
the pregame three, four weeks ago or the pre-show, and it was before the Flores stuff happened, and he was like, keep an eye on this. And I was like, wait, what? Like, that didn't seem to make any sense. So what do you know? Eight days later, it happens. And I kind of caught the same sense with that. Like, I saw his report, and then there was some other stuff slowly coming out. It started to become real. It's it's interesting, the timing of it, as you mentioned, because you have basically, uh, to put it in I mean, encapsulation, we're both basically the same age, but, like, the saints of your childhood kind of ending one by one, like the two biggest pieces, the breeze part last year, as you mentioned, and well put, like, it was time, like you could tell. It was kind of that Peyton Manning last run, but it was maybe even a year late. Yeah, exactly. It it might may have been. It was like right in between. And then my thought was, it just is like a neutral observer is like, well, like you got Jameis, you can deal with it for a year. Maybe he ends up being okay. And then you're kind of placeholding if he finds another long-term quarterback, maybe you can keep this thing rolling for four or five more years and until the bill kind of finally comes due with the defense aspect. And then this year hit. Like, I wonder, had you mentioned the hurricane aspect of it at the end, that was like a huge deal because they're displaced for a month, over a month, like you said. Like, you mentioned right. they were, what, five and two, and it never had played one home game. And then you had the Jameis aspect and so many injuries and everything that went into that season. When I was talking with Greg towards the end of the regular season, we were just going through all the teams. Like, I kind of felt the same way about the Saints. And I was like, it just felt like an exhausting, exhausting year. And I know it was for everybody in some ways, but particularly the Saints. And I just wonder how much this year in a vacuum changed that. Like, I wonder if Sean Payton this time a year ago had even considered it. I know Breeze was leaving, but like I would, just taking a guess, would doubt it. And seems like so much has changed and it was such a taxing year. He probably, even like a month and a half, two months ago, may not have thought about it. It probably took the offseason to kind of look around and think, hmm, the bill kind of is coming due. I think the, tower, the, the salary cap thing is dumb. Like in professional sports, particularly the NFL, you can work around it to where you're not just completely screwed. But there will be like a year or two where it kind of comes due. And it's, it's not, it's not nothing. Yeah, it's not nothing, but it's not um, – it's not like the end of the franchise. Like that's, it's not, not going like to be turning coaching candidates. Like people want to make it out to be, it's like, right. Oh, well look at their cap situation. It's like, well, no, 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 no. But exactly. So it's like transition. You cut Jameis off the of injury. I wonder if he just looked around and was like, you know, at 16 years, as he said in his press conference yesterday, very few guys get to leave on their own terms. I think pretty obvious. He's not done with coaching, but you know, he can kind of get a year off. He can do the TV thing. He kind of played dumb about that yesterday, but I think he probably knows he has a TV job if he wants it. And then evaluate his options in a year and see what the best situation is because I think he will be the most sought-after commodity in the 2023 coaching cycle should he decide to come back. That's a a good point that Adam Schefter, though, made on on whatever NFL Live was yesterday. You don't really ever know when a coach walks away on his own like this. Like, you think he's probably coming back, but shit, he may enjoy the TV thing and just never do it. So, you don't know, but I think he's doing it. But, like, as you mentioned, once the shock value gets past it, it does feel like a time that makes sense, I guess, for Sean Payton would be the best way I could put it. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Um, There's a lot of aspects of this decision that have to be considered. I mean, first of all, just – Thinking about the past five years for the Saints, which have been probably the best run he's had as a coach, you end the season with maybe the most bizarre Minnesota miracle play, maybe the most bizarre play in 
the history of football. It's one of them. It's it's up there with just a just a gut wrenching crazy game. Uh, so that's one you know horrible ending. The next year is obviously you know he is screwed out of a Super Bowl appearance by the worst call maybe ever. Uh, the next year they have just this weird home game against the Vikings where they lose in overtime. Then the next year, it's maybe his best defensive team, but it's Drew's probably end of his deal. Jared Cook fumbles it after beating Tampa twice in the regular season. You lose the postseason. And then this year, you've got COVID. You've got the hurricane. You've got all the injuries. That is taxing. And when you're at as high of a level as Sean is at and the Saints were at, like, it just – it probably was exhausting. And after 16 years – of a tons of highs and some some weird lows and not a whole lot of bad seasons. I feel like it was definitely time for him to take a break. I don't blame him, and I'm not overly shocked, but I think it will be interesting. I, I would say one year of TV, and he's going to probably come back and coach again, but he's still under contract. And there was an article written today by, uh, I think it's Kevin Clark of The Ringer, um, and it was the, – the headline was perfect is – I mean, for lack of a better word, I can't remember the exact headline, but it was basically Sean Payton's going to have this league by the balls come one year because every single thing that happens in coaching, with the exception of maybe Andy Reid and Bill Belichick, you make one mistake, you're that much closer to being replaced by Sean Payton yep. because he is the best coach in football, not named Bill Belichick. And Andy Reid, maybe but definitely not named Bill Belichick. So there is going to be this looming cloud of Sean Payton over every single team. The obvious one would be the Cowboys. And um, that would obviously make me sick to my stomach to see him go there. But, you know, I I can see it coming. You know, Colin Coward's talking about the Raiders and, you know, that kind of organization where you've got some pieces. Uh, There was all that Chicago talk because he's from there and he – I mean, the reports came out. Basically, he was like, do not trade me to Chicago. I'm not going there. That place sucks. Um, and there's just going to be – it's going to be like kind of the Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson. It's like, where are they going to be next? Where are they going next? What's going on? It's going to be that, except for it's Sean Payton. When Mike McCarthy does another stupid clock management thing, okay, here comes Sean. Or if Brandon Staley decides to take a timeout to not send his team to the playoffs, mm, okay, I think Sean Payton could do well with Justin Herbert, you know. It's going to be every franchise and every single thing for the next two years. It's going to be where is he going to go. And it's not going to be the Saints, obviously. So they're going to have to reboot. And we can discuss those options. But it's it's fascinating. He is going to be the biggest name in this sport for a year where he's not even going to be a part of the sport. And people who, like, don't understand that or don't realize how good he's been because they just want to wish the Saints ill will, like, you're out of your mind because every single team, with the exception of New England and maybe Kansas City, would probably trade their coach for him. Absolutely. And as you reflect on the last five years in particular, it was funny. Well, after the news broke yesterday, for whatever reason, I hit on the YouTube of the the Rams-NFC Championship, like, the last three minutes and how that played out. And I was working in radio at the time, and Haydad and Borky are huge Saints guys. And I remember Richard and I started prodding them on the Monday show after, like, yeah, it was a bad call, but you should have stopped them uh, in overtime. Really just kind of stirring the pot, but, like, halfway believing it. 
after I watched that again, I guess I just didn't put enough stock in it because I didn't have any emotional investment. <laughs> that was the biggest bullshit of all time. I, maybe, I don't know why, maybe I memory hold it. I don't know. I remember the play happening, but just watching it on, on its own yesterday, I was like, holy shit, they got screwed. Like, how do you miss that? The guy was right in front of it too. I, anyway, not to go down the terrible memory lane. That was not the intent of this, but like, but just between that and you mentioned the weird Minnesota game where like they outplay them, but Kirk Cousins makes the one throw in overtime when it shouldn't have got there. And then I remember watching the COVID year game against the Bucks, where it felt like the Saints were in control of that game for like three, three and a half quarters. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, they're going to lose. Jared it's- Cook fumbles it and the game is completely changed. Like we were dominating the game. He fumbles the ball out of nowhere and then it just goes downhill from there completely. Yeah. Yeah, and like it just—it feels like if, if you're kind of reflecting on the Sean Payton era, like it—it's. So, I like the Sean Payton. I like the Saints. I didn't grow up a Saints fan, but it just like I wish they had gotten one more in there with Breeze. Like that was what I found myself rooting for. Like the Peyton Manning last year asked, like, can they just get into a Super Bowl? They have the defense to win it, and they had a couple chances. But that's kind of the cruelty of the NFL, right? I mean, look at Josh Allen and the Buffalo Bills today. If they'd have, you know, squib kicked it and not given Patrick Mahomes, you know, the ability to go 40-something yards where it in 13 seconds, they're probably everyone's Super Bowl pick. I don't know exactly who was beating the way they're playing, but you wish they'd get one Super Bowl in there. Before we get to the reflection part, though, I think the Peyton aspect of this is interesting in terms of what he does going forward. They grab the – have the league by the balls, I think, is the perfect way to describe it. Is this the worst thing that could have happened to Mike McCarthy? Because now if you're Jerry Jones, don't you – don't you just look up and say, I'll keep this idiot for another year. You know, we were good. We played a home playoff game. And then as the moment he screws up, I get to try to bring home my guy. Like, it's almost like the like a vote of confidence via Sean, via Sean Payton because there was buzz about him getting canned this year. It's like, now I'll keep him. And, you know, please, God, don't let this idiot win the whole thing next year. But then I'm going to get Payton. So, like, in a way, that seems to be what the – obvious consensus is like what everyone seems to be gravitating towards I don't think Sean Payton's coaching next year I think that's pretty much out the window pretty seems pretty obvious at that point but the Dallas aspect of it Sean Payton talked about in his press conference yesterday his relationship with Mickey Loomis all the way back to when he took the job and that they're actually close friends and they had you know disagreements but like they respect each other's opinion and they worked as a team guess what's not happening when he goes to Dallas He's not going to work as a team in terms of the personnel side of things and even sometimes probably some game strategy stuff or scheme or whatever there. And that's the part that doesn't get discussed with this Dallas thing. They've never had a real coach. They've had a Jerry Jones yes man, and that's not to demean Jason Garrett or Mike McCarthy. That's just the job. And I wonder if that's the part that's lost on people in that because I don't think Sean Payton is going to take that. And the Dallas Cowboys is a big job, but he is better than being a yes man for an owner who hasn't done anything relevant in 25 years. That's the part that's fascinating to me. Well, not only have they not had like a real coach, like you call it a yes man, but his his son, Stephen Jones, is the general manager. And maybe he, yeah, I think he's been in football for a long time, but in terms of qualifications, he was gifted that job. And he basically tells them, you know, what his dad tells him to do. That's who they draft. And, you know, semi to their credit, they have actually drafted decently. It seems he's um, been better since he's become more in the fold rather than it was just Jerry. Right. Um, at least the past few years, they have, they have had some success. Um, if 
you think that Sean Payton's going to go to Dallas and, you know, be the yes man to Jerry Jones, you're insane. Not saying he's not going to go to Dallas. That, that's two different things. But uh, Sean is, is a, a personnel guy. He, he is in those rooms with Jeff Ireland and Mickey Loomis. And those discussions are had and they're had as a team and as a group. And Sean's voice is very loud in that. Um, I've talked to a ton of Saints people you know, coming through the building at Ole Miss. I actually almost had an interview to be a scout for the Saints. Uh, I mean, they they have it down pat. They, they know what they're doing. They've had this culture and this this vision for a long time, and it's something Dallas has yet to have. I mean, they have the – Mike McCarthy is, like, the least qualified coach in, in the NFL right now. He is the only thing stopping that team from being incredibly successful. Sean Payton changes that the day he steps into the building. Um, so, yeah, in terms of McCarthy, I mean, he knows his time's ticking if Jerry can make that happen. And for the NFL, it's kind of cool. You know, Dallas is, is America's team, and I would hate to see it because they would be successful immediately. Uh, but it's, it's a story you're going to hear for the next two years, so you kind of might as well get used to it. Um, there was real stuff about Sean leaving for Dallas like three years ago. I would never buy it, but supposedly that stuff was a little bit more than rumors. But like I said, that just doesn't happen in the NFL. This time around, it's obviously different. He'll be out of the game, and I just don't think he'll be out for very long. He's not that old. He's, he's 58 years old. He's got 10 more years of possibly being a head coach. Um, and I, I don't know where he'll end up, but it's going to be somewhere after a year off. And that's the probably the best way to turn. Like, well, I guess the last part, you mentioned something I hadn't thought about. The guy with the young quarterback who's not a proven head coach, if things don't go well for you next year and that guy doesn't take a step forward, like Justin Herbert, like you mentioned, is awesome. But if Brandon Staley keeps doing this, we don't punt thing ever, like he, I mean, it was on a national display in that that insane Sunday night game too. Like that type of guy. I'm trying to think of like another example of that. Sean Payton is definitely going to have an effect on how that guy's boss views him at the end of the year. I guess Brandon Staley's one, but like a, I mean, hell, a Cliff Kingsbury. No one watches the Cardinals and is like, this is a well-run operation. Like it's a really electrifying quarterback with a pretty. Pretty good defense. Oh, yeah, no, that's another one. For yeah, sure. like the, the young quarterback where it's not really buttoned up, that guy's least just got even shorter because you mentioned Sean Payton with Kyler Murray, if you can keep the guy healthy. Like, that's those guys are probably in the worst situation in terms of job security because of this, or in a worse position, not the worst, because of that. And I find that part of it fascinating. And Sean Payton's put himself in this rarefied air that doesn't really ever happen. Like Gruden got it by spending a decade in TV. And there's this weird thing we do now where if you spend long enough in TV, you become the hottest coaching commodity of all time. You saw it with basketball with Steve Kerr. I'm not saying Steve Kerr's a bad coach, but, you know, inheriting uh, Steph Curry and Clay Thompson probably helped. But he'd be, he had his pick between the Knicks and the Warriors by spending a decade in TV. They do that. It's like Gruden's was like less merited, I guess. Like he's he, wasn't, he wasn't as successful as Peyton. He had the exactly. one Super Bowl year. And then after the Super Bowl year, he was like 40 and 51. And kind like, of coasted he, off a lot of Dungy stuff, if I remember how that went down correctly. Absolutely. No, he, he was a good football coach, but was not as qualified – coming out of television as Sean Payton will be, and it's not even particularly close if you go look at it. I saw something about that yesterday. 
Um, but and he got course, a ten-year contract with like a hundred million dollars or whatever it is in complete autonomy. Now, look, that's Al Davis. That's a unique situation, but still, yeah. it's still ballparkish. Like that's crazy. No, but like I said, the most important thing about that, or not the most important thing, but people will forget that is he is under contract. Sean Payton is for another uh, four years, so he is going to have to be traded somewhere. Now, the Saints are not an organization that is going to to hold him hostage. But they're not going to just send him to Dallas for, like, a six-round pick. Like, they're getting something for him. Um, now, of course, he could just stay in TV for three or four years and then once his contract's over, decide he wants back in. But if he stays in TV for three or four years, he might just not leave. <laughs> he might be like, this, this life is a lot easier. Uh, so I would say that he is – the Saints are going to get compensation for him, probably heavy compensation if I'd imagine – um, though the, most of the leverage will be with Sean, so it won't be a king's ransom by any means. But there is going to be some pol- some politics, some you know movement on Sean's side, the Saints' side, to kind of see what the best fit is and what the best deal is. But he's going to end up being able to go where he wants to go in the end. It's going to be fascinating to see what situation he goes into, whether it's kind of the Herbert um, – Kyler situation we talked about or if like he gets like a Gruden like deal for an organization who's completely blowing it up starting from scratch and it's like just fix this we'll give you half a decade here's a ton of money don't worry about getting fired for five years that type of situation but I you know those are impossible to predict until we get to this time next year because you don't exactly know what the coaching cycle is going to look like as you reflect back on the 16 years or 15 years whatever it was with Peyton as the head coach of the Saints it's like you mentioned the golden era of saints football. And I went back and tried to find some archive. I was back when new Orleans had two newspapers, the Tom's pick and can you remember what that, it was the advocate, the advocate back then doesn't really matter. Like tried to find like the articles about the job and he references in his press conference, NFL jobs are the most coveted football jobs on earth. Right? Like you don't leave the, the whole, like the, I'm going to go back to college thing. I always find stupid. But if there's a job that was undesirable in the NFL, it was kind of the Saints in 2005 or whenever it was, 2006. You had, you know, they were displaced from the storm the year before. They were sort of aimless. Like, they hadn't done the breeze thing yet. And he told that story in his press conference yesterday. He was, like, in the hotel room about to interview with Mickey Loomis and found out he thought he was getting the Packers job, found out they went in a different direction and, like, chucked his flip phone up against a pillow. He's like, damn yeah. it, now what do I do? How stupid the Packers must feel. <laughs> and, like, I wish I was – that was one of those times where, like, I wish I was, like, this age or, like, slightly older to kind of fully appreciate, like, the, the full build of it. But, like, what do you remember about him getting there? Because as a Saints fan living down near around the New Orleans area – I don't even actually remember what that was like. They spent that year in his place, then they come back. Like, what do you remember about that entire offseason? Well, there there was a lot. I mean, obviously, I'm not from Baton Rouge. So, though I was not, you know, directly affected by Katrina, I mean, our lives were changed for months. Sure. You know, we had kids coming into our school. You know, we had no power for weeks. We had a, a family we didn't know living in our house that had a child. I mean, it was a lot. And – during that, you know, it, the football was like different. It was the Saints are playing in Tiger Stadium. Uh, they're in San Antonio. There's talk about them selling the team and moving them to San Antonio or Oklahoma City. And obviously, none of that happens. And then they bring in Sean Payton, and nobody knows what to expect. 
This is also like the year, you know, Les Miles is, is now at LSU. Nick Saban had just left. So there was a kind of weird Louisiana sports time going on right now. Um, but they got the guy named Drew Brees and nobody knew what to expect. They were like, okay, this guy was super successful, but he didn't go to Nick Saban. Now he's coming here. And we have this guy from the Cowboys and, you know, this whole team is weird, but then the Texans gave us a favor and they drafted, uh, I think it was Mario Williams instead of drafting Reggie Bush. So there was a level of excitement that, the Saints never had. You had Drew Brees, you had this new coach, you had the most exciting player in football, maybe ever in college football. I mean, just in a pure excitement and fun. You know, he was on your team. Um, you know, they start on the road and I'll, I mean, I'll never forget the, the Falcons game when they came back. Uh, they reopened the dome. One of my greatest regrets was not going to the game, had the opportunity to, but I mean, I was in fourth grade and I had school the next day like I understand I mean it, it wasn't like the same as it would be now but I, I mean just watching it on tv and you know to this day I, I every time that Steve Gleason highlight comes over Twitter or on tv you know I stop and watch it immediately I mean it's it's one of my favorite sports memories ever and I thought his his talk in the uh, press conference about him and Tom Benson and Gail Benson having to drive around to sell season tickets like out of excitement for this team was so fascinating because right now with the exception of the Chicago Cubs and the Green Bay Packers, the saints are, is the most exclusive season ticket in sports. And only, you know, 12 years ago, 15 years ago, you could buy them for, for nothing. (laughs) And that just shows what he did to, for the city, for the team, for the franchise, I mean, there was people wanting to move it, and now it gets the max amount of, you know, primetime games every single year. I mean, it's one of the most watched teams in football with the exception of, you know, the Packers and the Cowboys. And, you know, people don't like to hear it, Falcons fans and all of them, but it's true. Just look at the numbers. I mean, New Orleans is the one of the biggest football uh, ratings bases in the country. I mean, more people in New Orleans watch the Bengals playoff game against the Titans than people in Cincinnati. <laughs> that's that's what this place is like, and they needed that. And you know, my childhood is around Drew Brees and Sean Payton, uh, and, and they have had so much success. You know, from '06 to '09, you know, they went to the NFC Championship game that first year, which was, I mean, anyone will say that team is the most loved team ever. They obviously they get they finally get to the Super Bowl, the onside kick, beating Peyton Manning. Uh, all of that was crazy. And then, of course, you know, you wish they would have gotten another one. Uh, there's the team in 2011, which is verifiably their best team, and they lost on the road at, at old candlestick to the 49ers on that crazy Alex Smith run uh, late in the game. And that kind of defined the era from 11 to 17 of – this is the best offensive team in football that has maybe the worst defense ever. And that was four or five years of that, of seven and nine, of first-round playoff exits. But the, the thing was the same is they were always relevant. Every single year, Drew Brees made that football team and Sean Payton made it relevant. And then I think that's why it hurts so much because the last four or five years where They've had so much success every year. I mean, in this sport, you don't win four straight division championships unless you're the Patriots. 
and they did that and not being able to get another Super Bowl, it puts a little bit of stink on the whole deal. But just the fact that what he was able to do for the, the state, for the city, for South Louisiana, I mean, he'll never be forgotten. And I thought his press conference, I mean, it was an hour and a half. And, it, you know, he this place means a lot to him. This is not like when Anthony Davis left or Chris Paul where they didn't give a shit. Uh, you know, the media wants to make it seem like the cap thing. He just said, peace out. Like, no, this is clearly a, a tough decision. But he has done more for this state than shit anybody, maybe. <laughs> it really is crazy. And you mentioned the aspect of it of like the – I thought the going around selling ticket story was incredible too because like you think about that now and you're like, what world like would that even seem remotely possible? And you were talking about like the – the, the storm changing everyone's lives and all of that. And you guys had like a family living with you with a kid. And when they come back in 2006, people's lives are still like very different. Like, you know, I imagine some people, you know, are not still completely displaced by that point, but like, like life is still certainly not the same. And I just like, I would wonder what it would be someone to be like someone that was affected by that storm. And that was a big football fan to have that ride in 2006 and kind of have that escape for three hours every Sunday and it continue on that far. It's such an insane time and really terrible time for the city of New Orleans. You mentioned that being the most beloved team that's got to play a gigantic role in that. And then like, that's what I kind of remember in those middle years was like them having incredible offense, but no defense because it is kind of crazy. They still won like 13 and 11 games on the back end of that before those seven and nine season hits because they weren't very good defensively. And then you kind of finally get the defense to match it, but Breeze is getting a little older. It's like, yeah, like the great what if, I guess, is like what if a couple of those playoff things haven't happened, you get a second one. But the fact that they got that one in 2009, like kind of puts the, the cherry on top for this entire thing. Like getting to the mountaintop and getting over makes it, you know, statue worthy. And it's interesting you mentioned that 2016 being the most beloved one. 09 had to be a pretty cool ride. I mean, that's obviously a very close second. The Tracy Porter interception, like that year is kind of crazy because as you outlined, it probably wasn't their best team, but they just kind of got the right break, which is sort of the NFL in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Um, I mean, in the playoffs that year, you know, the Minnesota game, I mean, they very easily could have lost that game, whereas some of these other you know, times they have lost those games. They, they get in and they play Manning. And, you know, just the storylines around that obviously is, is Peyton and Archie. Like, if Saints beat, you know, New Orleans' you know, favorite son. And it was just a crazy, crazy, crazy time. And the, the funny thing is, is they've had so many great teams. And, yeah, you do feel a little bit of a what could have been. But, you know, Aaron Rodgers has only won one Super Bowl. I mean, Manning has won two, but only one with the team that he played for the majority of his career. Uh, it's hard to win. And I think that's like the most impressive thing with the Saints. You kind of look at some of these division records over the years. They've been coming out. I mean, the Saints have owned the NFC South, which has been one of the only divisions in football in the past 15 years where all four teams have made a Super Bowl. Like there's other teams that haven't even gone to a Super Bowl in the history of the game. And this division – year after year, you know, maybe not always at the top, but they've had teams go to the Super Bowl at least once out of the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. Um, and then that's not even including the fact that he was suspended for a year, <laughs> not a part of the team. And I think his 
the Saints' relationship with the NFL, starting with that, continuing through what happened in 2018 with that call, he, he has had a tenuous uh, relationship with Roger Goodell in the NFL. There, I mean, there was that article that came out a few days ago talking about the Saints' opponents over the past four years have been the least penalized teams in the NFL. I saw that. Every single year. It's bizarre. It's unexplainable. And, you know, there, there's excuses, of course, and there's no reason to have excuses. But it's just that has to add to it as well. It's like, God, like I've done everything. I, I get my ass kicked by COVID, by injuries. I've been suspended. We've been screwed, you know, a few times. And it just probably just burned him out. He was probably – I mean, 16 years is unheard of in sports lasting for one team for forever. And it sucks that he's leaving at this time. You know, he, his, his one fault is his lack of a succession plan to Drew Brees. Um, it's, it's been talked about for years in New Orleans. He has n- they've never drafted a quarterback. Uh, Ian Book was the first quarterback they drafted in the top four rounds since Archie Manning. Like, they, they just don't do it. They have never done it. And it, it's, it's his one flaw. And so there have been some people in media like, you know, this is cowardly because you left the team at like their worst point in time since you've been here. I don't feel that way personally. Like it sucks. And there's going to be a lot of change and makeover and they have to find a new coach, you know, eventually a new quarterback. But I mean, going through this whole conversation, what he's done has been amazing and it's, it's tough to explain. And as I said, he is going to have this league by the balls for the next two years because he is as good as anyone out there. Yeah. And the, the, you know, everyone wants to talk about the, with the Goodell stuff, like the, the deflate gate and like the Ray Rice and all that stuff. But like really the start of that was the punishment for the, um, for the, deflate, like for the, the bounty gate thing. Like you have, I was reading about it last night. I forgot Mickey Loomis was suspended eight games. Like what does that accomplish? Jonathan Vilma suspended an entire season. You had to have the former commissioner, Paul Tagliabue or whatever the hell his name is, basically come back and overturn the player suspensions. Yeah. Like for various reasons, like he botched the entire thing. And I just always forget about that moment in history because Obviously, I remember the bounty gate part of it, but everyone's to talk about Brady deflating footballs and how ridiculous it was that he got four games and the Goodell clown nose and then under punishing when it comes to domestic violence and the terrible strategy of making yourself the judge, jury, and executioner when it comes to punishments. Suspending John Payton for an entire year, Greg Williams indefinitely, which basically sort of ended up being a year because he was not going to be touched no matter what, even if it had been longer than that, just makes no sense. That entire thing made absolutely no sense. Were they angels like saints? Of course not. But, like, the the way the punishment doled out didn't make any sense. And the, probably the most underrated part of his career is being able to come back after being away for an entire season and it not be a complete disaster and kind of come back and build the thing back up. Like how many NFL head coaches could you take them out for an entire season, bring them back and everything come back and you eventually build a winner again. That probably speaks to the culture that you're talking about that they built because most other places that's probably done for Like it's probably going to shit. Right. I mean, in the press conference, he talked about how like, if you're not studying new England, you're basically an idiot because they have been the, you know, just the pinnacle of this sport, the most difficult sport, the most popular sport um, in in the world or in the country, at least the most important. And 
the the culture they built i mean just listening to them talk about how they go about evaluating and drafting players you know they obviously look at the talent but they they talk about like if they can't fit in this locker room and they don't can't be a part of it and don't fit in with what we do like we're just not going to draft them no matter how successful they are i mean they're talking about marshawn Lattimore, like this guy, like the fact that he fell in our laps at 11 that year when he dropped, it was like a dream come true. Like we never even considered getting this guy. And of course, the hilarious part of that is they were going to draft Patrick Mahomes at 11 if the Chiefs had not uh, jumped them and traded up in front of them. So it's a, it's their best tribe class they've probably ever had without maybe the best player possible. And that's obviously a whole, a funny and frustrating. What if when it comes to the saints? Um, but yeah, I mean, that it's, I mean, the offensive coordinator, it's been Pete Carmichael. He's been there since 2009. He's been there for 12 years. The offensive coordinator has, and obviously Sean calls the plays, but I mean, Dennis Allen has been there for four or five years. And before that, they had a, a few rotating defensive coordinators. But a lot of these guys that have been on the staff and in the front office for this team have been there since 2006. Loomis especially. You know, Jeff Ireland came in a little bit later after he, after he was fired from the Dolphins. Um, he changed the entire draft process. You know, he started with that draft and kind of a little bit before that. And that's – they have become – the best drafting team in football, and it's not particularly close. And that's how they've been able to not worry about having to deal with the cap because when you have a draft like in 2017 where it's Marshawn Lattimore, Ryan Ramchek, Trey Hendrickson, Marcus Williams, um, I mean, that's like eight starters they had in one draft, and that's how you uh, – Alvin Kamara. I mean, <laughs> that's all in just one draft. I mean, then you think about Eric McCoy and, you know, Chauncey, uh, C.D. Deuce was a third-round pick. Um, it's just Michael Thomas was a second-round pick. Uh, they've hit, and, of course, they've had a few stinkers like Ruiz and, you know, Davenport was awesome this year, but they gave up a ton of capital to get him. Uh, this place is not going to just burn and crumble without him. But losing him is, is huge. But like we've all been talking about, the, the way that they've built this franchise and have had it, as successful as they've had is not just because of him, but he is definitely the, the engine that made it happen. I'm glad you went there because that's as good of a transition as any to get to the part where the Saints go, where the Saints go from here, because somewhat of the unsung hero, probably not to Saints fans, but like the casual observer about this entire era is Mickey Loomis. You know, I know he was in other positions prior to 2002 when he became the GM, but like, you know, he becomes the head man in charge in 2002 and, you know, you talk about the, all the era of the Aints and the so many bad, just terrible teams. You know, they only had one playoff win in history prior to the Sean Payton 2006 year. Loomis, they were respectable, right? I think they went 9-7 and seven twice, then it bottoms out. <clears throat> they go 3-13 and 13 in that 05 year, and then it goes over. But, like, they weren't the Aints through that. And, like, he's largely responsible for helping build that culture. You know, in this day and age where we all love comparisons, well, like, it kind of takes two to make something great sometimes. I think you probably learned that with the Belichick-Brady thing. I don't think the Saints are as good without Peyton. They're probably not as good without Loomis. And still having one of those figures there, you still have some hope. As you mentioned, they're not just going to completely disintegrate. I think the draft record is probably as good evidence of that anyway, is anyway. Before we get to kind of where they go next, like, how do Saints fans view Mickey Loomis? Because he's not a huge personality, not that a ton of GMs are, 
but he just kind of, like I don't even know if I've ever heard Mickey Loomis talk is kind of the way I'd describe that. How do Saints fans view Loomis? Because he's two decades into the job now. There was a lot of through those kind of seven and nine years between like 13 and 17, there was a lot of this Loomis guy needs to go. Uh, once they brought in Jeff Ireland, that kind of changed. Loomis kind of took a different approach to how they did the draft, how they built the team and everything around it. They became uh, an aggressive team, a trade-up team instead of a trade-down team. And they basically have been like, if there's a guy we like, we want, we're willing to throw the chips in to just go get him. Uh, C. Deuce is one of those. Alvin Kamara is a prime example. Davenport is an example that they've done it year after year these past five, six years. Uh, he is not a huge figure around South Louisiana. He is not, you know, one of these GMs like you have around the country where you see them all over TV all the time because uh, he's not a former player. You know, it, it's uh, it, it's a little bit different. There is some talk out there that he might be out as well. Uh, this might be a time for him to leave. And, you know, that would be a, a big hit. But when you have Jeff Ireland there that's been there for as many years as he has, they they know what they're going to do next. Uh, Kai Harley is the guy who handles the cap. Um, because other teams are stupid, they have not hired either Ireland or Harley. They've gone on and hired a bunch of other GMs who are like Dave Gettleman who are terrible, <laughs> you know, because no one knows how to hire in the NFL, it sounds like. Um, I referred to his analytics office. I saw in an interview as the computer people. And I was like, yeah, this guy probably probably not a great hit rate with this dude. Yeah. I mean, and the, the Vikings just hired this cat who, uh, academically is just insane, but he's only been in football for like four years. It's just, I you never know with these guys. Um, but they've got the foundation, that front office. Finally, the Falcons were like a tired of losing these guys. They hired Fontenot last year. Um, and they're, you know, literally already better. So <laughs> it, it happens. Um, but even if Mickey ends up leaving, there's such a strong foundation, that franchise, that it, it won't be the end of the world either. What do you think they do head coach going forward? Uh, it would just seem legitimately shocking if they don't just promote Dennis Allen, uh, then promote Chris Richard, who who was with the Cowboys for a while. He's he's our like pass game coordinator, DB's coach. Promote him to defensive coordinator. Keep Pete Cartmichael as offensive coordinator. Let him call the plays, and then just kind of go go there. Um, I think they wouldn't be doing themselves a service if they don't at least interview outside candidates. Um, personally, the only two like. The only two guys I would hire if I'm the Saints would be one, Eric Bieniemy, uh, African American coach would be nice. I think it would it would just be a good thing. He is more than qualified, and it just so happens he was born and raised in New Orleans. Makes a lot of sense. Uh, the other guy that I personally love, I don't think this would ever happen. The Mike McDaniel cat from the 49ers. I was about to bring him up in a smartass. Love this guy. So I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I was keep reading this rumor that's apparently not a rumor that he's very hesitant to move somewhere that doesn't that hasn't legalized weed. 
We used to, <laughs> no, we've decriminalized. Okay, maybe that counts, and maybe being a head coach, maybe that'll that'll schmooze him over. That's how that that'll probably convince him. But so I don't I, I don't know what happened, but maybe I guess when you get in the playoffs, they, they have more uh, media time with the coordinators yeah. of these. Where's teams. this guy been? I tweeted it out. This guy had a hell of a week. <laughs> I mean, first there was the the comment like the guy asked why they toss. You know, and they do the toss dive instead of like hand the ball off. And he, and he turns around, he's like, "Not a stupid question." PowerPoint. <laughs> and answer that for you, and his answer was like perfect. And then there was a video of him leading a uh, a meeting and talking about how you know you get what you emphasize and how you know Kyle Shanahan they they have these Friday film sessions where they talk about how this play would have been a touchdown if the receiver blocked, and that's why they got guys like Debo and Brandon Ayuk who are just studs on the edge. And then, of course, he has the, the Mike Jones quote just out of nowhere. They, clearly not a single person in the room understood what he was even talking about. Um, I would love him just because I think he fits just a New Orleans petty level that I would enjoy. Um, those are just dreams. I think this is Dennis Allen's job. And, you know, Sean Payton missed that Bucks game that I was at, and we won the game 9-0 with a tight end playing quarterback against the Super Bowl champs. Uh, he he has done his due diligence. He is he has made his service aware, and he clearly has a huge backing from not only Sean but Benson. It would just be shocking if it's not him. Then you got to go get a quarterback. I think it's the Dennis Allen thing too. Just from everything you read, you know, this is kind of how it works. This is not your typical NFL retread. I mean, my God, he went. He was at the Raiders at the time, where the Raiders were up there with any organization in sports. But like, what the hell are these guys doing? Yeah. Um. What do you do about quarterback? Do you bring Jameis back for a year? Or is it one of those things where you do it if you don't love someone in the draft? Hell, there was an athletic mock a week and a half ago, not that mocks mean anything, that had Matt Corral going to the Saints. And look, if Matt Corral falls all the way to wherever the Saints are picking, what, like 20? Like that's, you know. The 18th. 18th, that's 17 stupid teams in my opinion. Or not 17 stupid teams. However many teams needed a quarterback and drafted someone else, not Matt Corral, in my opinion not smart like what do you think they do at quarterback well it, it's tough because you know they signed Jameis to a deal but he is now a free agent so you're not going to be just bidding against yourself of course you know there's other teams that will probably be bidding against you because he this was all right of, he was more he was he was fine yeah. I mean if he is if Devin White doesn't dirty horse collar tackle him this team is going to the playoffs and in my opinion that they're making noise it, uh, before he got hurt, to me, the watching the Saints was why aren't they letting him do more? It was almost like a frustrating conservative not letting him do more. And that's kind of where I went with fine. Like he was good. It just didn't feel like they'd let him loose yet. I feel like that was coming had he not got hurt. It was he's not a Sean Payton quarterback. Right. I mean, in that game, I think it was against the Giants. So they ended up losing that game, but he has that touchdown where he, like, is on his back foot, like, launches it, like, 20 feet in the air, and uh, I think Callaway ends up coming down with it. He's he's running over the sideline, and Sean Payton is just, you know, I just staring into his soul, like, what the hell is wrong with you? What are you doing? And, of course, you know, Jameis, being Jameis, is like, you know, Coach God, th- God told me to throw the ball. <laughs> like, that's just what you get out of him. That's not what Sean wants. He can't handle – the uncertainty, the unknown of this guy could do anything on any play, which is why they were so conservative with him. Um, but they also had maybe the best defense in the NFL 
prior to the amount of injuries they had. So, like, they didn't have to be an offensive football team. It was a different kind of football team. Uh, I don't know what they're going to do. I think bringing back Jameis, hopefully cutting Taysom Hill and, you know, eating a little bit of dead money, but just getting that off the cap. Uh, I think that would make sense for a year or two. Um I I really don't like any of these quarterbacks in the first round, and I, and I love Matt to death. Uh, I don't think he's even remotely ready to go to a team like New Orleans and play immediately. Uh, that just doesn't seem realistic to me. Now, I would be excited if they draft him just for fun. Um, he He's not like a guy where you look at him and it's like, okay, this is – you know, Trevor Lawrence, this is one of these guys, like, we're, we're going to be good if we get this guy. Like, we, we'll, we'll figure it out. Like, he'll have some growing pains. Like, there's no guarantee on any earth that Corral comes into this league and just dominates. Um, and without Peyton, you know, it's going to be a different kind of development period. And uh, it helps with the cap because you can pay a rookie quarterback nothing and you can kind of figure through some things around him. But like the Saints just haven't drafted quarterbacks. I just don't see them doing that um, if they're not dead set on it. So I, that is obviously the biggest question. It, it's who's the coach and then what are they going to do at quarterback? And I, I think the coach thing is relatively settled. And I don't think they know what they're going to do with the quarterback yet. I'm old enough to remember back in the summer or spring, whenever it was, where Russell Wilson, classic Russell Wilson fashion went, hey, I'm not demanding a trade, but if you were to trade me, here are the five teams I would go to. And he put New Orleans in there. And right. so it's not even necessarily specific to Russell Wilson. That would be intriguing. Maybe Sierra likes gumbo. I don't really know. You know, you figured it would be like big glamorous markets. I love New Orleans. Awesome city. But when you're talking about like the supermodel wife or superstar wife kind of having the, the husband by the balls to a degree – New Orleans in there was a little bit interesting. Like, the rest was like New York, Vegas. I thought Chicago was a little weird. But he was on that list. Do you think they would might entertain the free agency route and just be like, let's capitalize on this defense and let's just try this shit for two more years before whatever that bill is actually comes due? Right. And, you know, with the Rodgers and the Russell Wilson, when you had Sean Payton, the New Orleans – Oh, excuse me, the New Orleans destination was a no-brainer for a quarterback. Right. Well, he's he's gone now, so I, I do think that changes the dynamic of, you know, would you still want to come to New Orleans? I mean, the franchise and the roster is awesome, but, you know, the coach isn't the same, and it's, it's a little bit different of a deal. Um, that being said, I have a buddy that works for the Saints who is like, he's like, I don't know what we're doing, but we're, we're going to trade for Russell Wilson at the end of the season. Like, that's that's what that's happening. Whoa. And he doesn't know that, you know, yeah, but he, he he works for PR for the team. He's like, I, they're going to try. <laughs> now, obviously, a lot of things have changed since he has said that. Um, and that's not breaking news. That's just what he thinks is going to happen. That's nothing. But, uh, yeah, I think it would make a ton of sense. I personally can't stand Russell Wilson. Uh, I'd happy to be him. Would ha love to have him on the team. I think he's as fake as they come. Uh, and he, he is right He's like the least New Orleans Saint locker room, New Orleans Saints player ever. I mean, could you imagine him trying to talk with like Alvin Kamara and Marshawn Lattimore and CD Deuce and like these like them take them him seriously? <laughs> like it just it just doesn't fit. Uh, but I mean, if he wants to come and he's willing to take less money to do it because he's going to have to, uh, you know, no one says no. Of course, uh, I mean, obviously you have to wait to see what this Rogers deal is. Um, he's got his own plethora of issues 
with him, um, I don't think we're as appealing to him because our, you know, wide receiver skill set is not great. Uh, you could just draft one and that could change a few things. But I, I think they would love to go down that avenue. I, I think the appeal, as tough as it is to say, has, you know, dimmed a little bit on coming to New Orleans without Sean Payton. Russell Wilson is just the most fake person in the in NFL. Yeah, and it's almost like it's maybe I don't know the guy. It's just like guessing here, but it's not even like fake in the sense of like this guy's a conniving sob behind the scenes. It's just like he doesn't know how to act. Like it's it, no. entire life's a show. Like Cat Terrell or whoever named the person that beat. They asked him a question about gumbo or Episcopal night, by the way, or or mothers or something. Shout out. He'd be like, well. It was kind of the unknown that made me want to finish it. I didn't really know what I was eating. I know those people back there worked hard for it, put in a lot of rice, and they're just going to try to get better every day, and I'm going to go back and give it another try. It's like, dude, like, Jesus. I don't think that's a fit either. It'll be fascinating to see where that goes. But the end of an era, I think the Saints will still be fine because of that infrastructure in place, as you mentioned. Lastly, before we get out of here, you know who else doesn't necessarily have a quarterback, and that is the Ole Miss Rebels. That's what we in the biz call a tease. They are waiting on the whole Jackson Dart deal. I'm not about to tell you what – I am not about to ask you what you're hearing on Jackson Dart and Michael Trigg. But as you've been following this loosely, what do you make of this entire thing? Because, you know, it was Chase and Neil have reported when they had the big visit, which I guess is two weekends ago now. It seemed like everyone felt pretty confident about them, chances of getting them. Clearly, 18, 22-year-old kids, that can change really quickly. Let's start here. How big of a deal is the ad drop date? Like, how flexible is that? Because what I don't understand is, as you know, Ole Miss's Christmas break was longer than some marriages last. And so I'm just assuming here their ad drop date is later than pretty much everyone else's, yet he still has other suitors that he could presumably get to spring ball to. What is the deal with the ad drop date in terms of getting kids there for spring? Well, I've ne- we never had to deal with this before because you've never had a situation like this. Um, you know, I, I think people – just assume that the academics are going to bend thy knee to the football team and just allow whatever to happen to happen. That is not how it works. If you can't get into school, like clearly Deion Smith did not have the GPA to go to Ole Miss, you can't just finagle your way around it. The guy's got like a 1.1. You can't scheme it. It's just not going to happen. And this ad job date deal, my guess is that if they're not in by the time classes start, especially if they're like a week later, it's just not going to happen. They're just going to have to wait till, till the fall and they'll be there for fall camp or whatever, wherever they end up going. Um, It would just, I just don't think that's how they would do it. You know, that's just, there's only so many rules you can bend. It's like, okay, like maybe this guy takes an hour online somewhere and then we'll, we'll squeeze him in if he gets his, you know, his shit done. Uh, just coming to school two weeks after the ad drop date in the middle of the semester and just allowing that to happen is probably unlikely. Um, now, maybe, I mean, <laughs> just knowing how Kiffin does things, it's always like, well, you know, this is how it worked at FAU. Well, newsflash, this is the SEC and not FAU. Uh, your walk-ons that are still like in jail, like it doesn't work anymore. You know, you, you can't just pull kids out of nowhere that haven't, like, gone to school in the last four years and start them at linebacker at, in the SEC. So, yeah, this has probably been a wake-up call to him on how this whole thing is working. Um, 
it's not some sort of grand conspiracy theory of the administration and the academics wanting to screw over Ole Miss. Uh, it's just probably a difficult situation and a new one. Um, I don't. It, I don't know how it's going to work with this, but he. he there's no way he's just going to decide on February 15th that he wants to go to Ole Miss and then just be admitted into classes three weeks, four weeks after it started. See, that's the answer I thought you'd give because at a certain point, I, honestly, I was sitting in my uh, in my home desk now that we work from home, like during my lunch break there day, and I was like, should I have an admissions counselor on? Like, I, I just can't wrap my head around it because. Like you mentioned, I mean, again, most of my ad dropping in college was done based on which teacher I figured might have the test bank. You know, talk about being plugged into a rumor mill. That first week when you're like, oh, this guy's going straight test bank, yeah, at his class. But that's the only experience I had with it. I just don't understand how this works with other schools. Like, I'm assuming BYU did not have the same Christmas break as Ole Miss did. So, like, why are they in the mix? Why is OU? I don't, I don't understand it. That's above our heads, above our brain right now. Right. No, it just yeah. doesn't make any sense to me, and I don't know. So, it's – it's from a sheer evaluation standpoint, do you remember anything about Dart at all? I know yeah. he's a Utah kid. Like, what, what do you remember about him coming out? Oh, I remember both these kids very well. In fact, I – so Utah started their high school football uh, like two weeks before everyone else. And I'm looking at quarterbacks because, you know, we don't have one committed. We're still recruiting Altmeyer and, like, Colton Gauthier and stuff like that. And then this kid's stats pop up, and in two weeks he's thrown for, like, 1,000 yards and eight touchdowns. I'm like, holy shit, like, what is going on here? I pull up his stuff, and it was awesome. I mean, this kid is just throwing, you know, for lack of a better word, he's just throwing darts out there. You know, he's he has a huge arm. He has a quick release, like, real velocity. So I go show him to, to Holacek and Levy. I'm like, hey, you know, if worse comes to worse, like, if we can't, you know, figure out this Altmeyer deal. Like this cat is dynamic, and he's committed to Utah State right now. So you're to blame uh, for Levy still being in on him at OU. Oh man, yeah. So that's where the relationship started with Dart and Levy. Um, and you know, they they liked him, and they were like, you know, we're not going to go to Utah for this kid when we've got a guy in state that we really like. Like you know, that we'll, we're going to talk to him and you know discuss it with him and. You know, if he shows, like, real interest, we'll, we'll dabble into it later. And, of course, USC ended up doing it. I was like, well, shit, this kid's going to be really good. Um, and it turns out, yeah, <laughs> he was really good. And he still is really good. He uh, is kind of kind of a weird release. He's kind of windy, kind of long, open release. But he has, like, real velocity. Uh, is maybe not the arm strength of Corral, but he can make majority of the throws in the field. He is not – um, he's a keep you honest with your legs guy. Not he's an, an adequate runner. He is not a dynamic runner like a Plumlee or a Corral or anything. But he's really good. Um, I it, it makes a ton of sense why they want him. It makes a ton of sense why Oklahoma wants him. It makes a ton of sense why BYU wants him. It's because he's a really good football player. And he was shoved into a situation at USC that sucked, and he made the most of it. Uh, and then Trig. Not wanting him, or not necessarily not wanting him, but that's just because Lincoln's quarterback guy, he wants kind of his guy. Like, is that is there much more to read into it than that? Well, I mean, that's the whole deal is what, what the hell is Caleb Williams doing? Is he really going to freaking Wisconsin? Like, is that happening? Like, I saw that yesterday. Now, I'll believe that when I see it. Um, it was probably a, just a formality that Williams was going to USC and that was going to be his guy. And Dart may have had a conversation with Lincoln, was like, you know what, this probably – isn't just going to work out like let's just go you know look at some other pastures 
I, I don't know. It's honestly why when I was watching the NFL playoffs this weekend and how awesome they were, it kind of just brings me back to why I've you know, been so much more of a Saints fan than an LSU or an Ole Miss guy because this sport is so stupid now. I mean, and it's not like – it's the dumbest sport in, in ever. It has become more dumb by the day. You know, they can't figure out the playoffs. They can't figure out how to pay these kids. They can't figure out rosters. It, it's just such a stupid sport, and it's just why, like, I don't understand that. If you're not an NFL fan, why you're not, like, why you keep dealing with the college football. The, this whole thing is such a racket sometimes. And, you know, following this dart and trig thing has been like, God, like what? why do I even care about this? You know, <laughs> like, am I really just going to – you know, and I really haven't been following it. I, I'll check Twitter and I'll read the boards here and there just to see what's going on with it. And, you know, I'll bother Alex Collins about it just for fun. And, you know, of course, he doesn't say – tell me anything, understandably, probably because he doesn't know anything either because it seems like nobody does. Right. I mean, Kiffin's tweeting all these, you know, puzzle pieces, which is obviously just trolling. He has no idea what's going on either, clearly, because they're not talking to anybody. Right. <laughs> and it's just like, why are we paying attention to this? Um, that's a, a, a rant that wasn't probably necessary. Um, but still, Trig, the other cat, uh, less proven than Dart, because he didn't really play a whole lot at USC, uh, an absolute freak athlete. Uh, he was like a really small school in Tampa, uh, like a legit basketball guy too. Not like just a, you know, that always is the case. You know, there's like those guys that go to Alabama, they're going to play, oh, we're going to play basketball and football. And of course they never play basketball. Uh, he's like a legit basketball guy too. He's a freak athlete, got hurt, an obvious position of need. Uh, don't know what the hell's going on with him either. <laughs> you know, it's like, are they a package deal? What's going on? Uh, it seems like nobody knows. And that is just bizarre, and it brings it back to what are they waiting for? Is this an NIL thing? Is this an Ole Miss, like, you know, what, what is it an Ole Miss problem? Is it uh, an Oklahoma deal? Like, I, nobody knows. It's, yeah, it, that's probably the best way to put a bow on that discussion. And then it just the other part of it, you mentioned the high school, like not getting a high school kid being sort of uncharted territory. How weird would it be if they go in? Because so Jack Abraham, the ex-Oxford High kid that's been a million different places, and now he's transferring. From a sheer depth perspective, him coming to Ole Miss to finish out would seem like it would make some sense. Neil had a note today, and I don't want to like give up like exclusive content, but for reasons you can go read about and subscribe to Rebel Grove, that necessarily can't necessarily happen. It doesn't sound like until the summer. So. Yeah. How weird would it be, or unprecedented would it be, just to go into the uh, spring with? Altmeyer and uh, Dent, like is that that big of a deal? Yes, I mean so you don't even have you don't even have camp arms, right? I mean you need you need four or five quarterbacks. I mean I don't even know if they have a walk on right now. I mean that that, that was can... shy was there back in the day. I don't know what it, what his major is if he's still around. <laughs> Seller shy, Seller shy had to move to receiver uh, because. Yeah. You know, Jocklas Jones, we, they, you guys were preparing for Alabama one week, and we were asking him about uh, – I can't remember if it was Hurts or Tua. And he's like, yeah, well, we got we got guy scout team, and we're like, who is it? And he's like, honestly, I don't remember his name. And I think it was Seller Shad. Probably was. I, I once once Levy got there, I think he had seen enough of Sellers throwing the football. <laughs> and he's like, why don't you just go play receiver? 
Uh, and I love Sully. He's a good kid. His dad is the CBS guy, I believe, yeah. who does CBS golf. So I'm not going to be say too mean, too many mean things to him. But uh, no, he he actually is a hilarious kid. He's funny. Good at ping pong too. Um, That's a it, it's a right though. If you go right. back, <laughs> he knew what he was getting into. Back to back to serious talk. Uh, it's unprecedented to have two scholarship quarterbacks. It's like unheard of. It's why not signing a high school one is such a a flaw it's such a problem because you're in this situation and then of course you know what if dart gets here and luke decides you know he doesn't win the job he's like you know what maybe i want to leave now and then you're back in this exact same freaking boat um which is yeah you might have a quarterback you know i like luke but i think dart is more prepared to be the starter if he comes here next year but if it's just dart and dent it's like the same damn thing because you don't have any arms uh, and that's why, like, I think they might try to get another one as, like, a backup guy to come in and after the fall or after spring camp because that would make sense. But that's, like, easier said than done because how many guys want to leave a program just to be a guaranteed backup? And then, you know, Jack Abraham can't come because uh, we tampered two years ago with some Mississippi State guys um, kind of by accident but still stupid and – so you can't that can't happen until the fall. Uh, so that's just a whole another deal that you have to deal with. But it would make a lot of sense from every perspective for him to come in. But that's no guarantee either. You know, maybe he decides that he'd rather just go to med school and continue on his life, which is, you know, kudos to him if that's the case. It, it's a it's a really weird deal. Having two arms is no bueno, no matter which two it is. And that's the part I feel like nobody's talking about because once you you brought up the point and I'm sitting there thinking I'm doing the math on you know jokes about the tra- the drop ad drop data side I'm like what, what if you don't get Jack Dart or someone like what do you do and then you brought up the point if even if they do get someone at Altmeyer's like the hell with this I'm out of here and you know there was a local radio interview done between a guy with another site that was like if I were Luke I'd be pissed I think he was just you know projecting and giving his own opinion but there's probably not a hundred percent, like that's not a hundred percent unfounded. It's like, it's a fascinating place to be. And, you know, all you had to do to avoid the, you know, unprecedented part of it was sign a high school quarterback. And I guess there's still time for that, but it doesn't sound like they're going to do that in the February period. At that point, who the hell are you going to get? So. Not that I'm aware of. There's, there can't be a one they even want that's, that's out there right now that I would right. they, I can imagine. I mean, I don't even think those guys commit so early. Uh, there, there can't be some guy that's just not been signed yet that is worth, you know, putting a scholarship to the 85 for. Last football thing, there was another report last week, and there was some conflicting reporting at the beginning of the week. You had a TV guy say that Lane Kevin flew to Athens and met with JT Daniels, which if you watch how any of this transfer portal shit works, this is not Jim Harbaugh drinking milk at an IHOP in Oxford. Like, that's not really just how this shit goes down. But then there was obviously some, I would say, more trustworthy reporting that they have been in some sort of contact with JT Daniels. What is your opinion of him? Because when there was buzz about him transferring the first time when he got to Georgia, and I asked a couple of people that I knew at USC, and not that I just have moles across the country, just kind of more of a half and chance thing. Some people just think he peaked as an 18-year-old and he was at a football powerhouse. Other, think other people seem to think there's stuff there. What is your opinion on JT Daniels? Uh, it's hard to tell. It's hard to know. Um, I mean, early on at USC, he was like 17. He's starting for him, and he looked like a a really good football player, Uh, highly recruited. You know, it doesn't work out. He screws up his knee. He transfers to Georgia, is like immediately eligible before this whole thing 
this whole one-year transfer thing started, literally nobody knows how it happened. It was just one of those things that nobody talks about. Like the guy was at USC for like a year and a half and had supposedly graduated and was, was able to go to Georgia and be eligible. Otis Reese would have liked that treatment. Yeah, exactly. And then he gets to Georgia and the knee is still an issue. They're still playing Stetson Bennett and some other cat who was terrible. I can't even remember. But that's uh, kind of weird, uh, the Jamie Newman thing that he never even played a game. Yeah. That, that was bizarre. Newman almost goes there, never gets there. There's also talk from some guys I know at Georgia that they thought that JT Daniels was healthy the entire year, entire COVID year, and Kirby just liked Stetson better, um, which is something. Uh, and then, of course, you know, this year, you know, they're obviously so good that it doesn't matter how good Stetson is, even though Stetson honestly was a very competent, quality quarterback this year. And now he's leaving again, and nobody really knows what to think of him. I mean, it's hard to even tell if you haven't been into Georgia football practice, like what this guy has. I mean, he played a few games last year, but the COVID year, it's like, meh, who, who even knows or cares? I mean, he, he looks pretty decent in the Cincinnati bowl game. Uh, I think it's smart by Kiffin to just do your due diligence in case this dart thing doesn't work out. And, you know, after 10, 11, however many freaking days it is, you know, thinking about it and paying attention to it, nobody knows what's going to happen there. Uh, so I, mean, I guess it would make sense. I, I don't know a whole lot about him. Obviously, no one seems to really know a whole lot about him. Um, but it, I mean, it makes sense to try to like you know dot your T's, cross your or dot your eyes, cross your T's on everything that's out there. I just I got a mailbag question about this either last Friday or two Fridays ago, and I was like, without knowing anything specific like you just outlined, I was like, I probably just go with the kid that's not on his third school at the end of the day, like, I just don't know much about it. You know what I mean? Right. I mean, I, I completely agree. I mean, whenever we were doing recruiting and, you know, these California kids were weird, they transfer to schools like it's their job. I mean, they just, that's just what they do. And they always end up at like modern day or, or De La Salle. And it's just kind of like the nature of them. Like that Garcia kid who transferred to Valdez. They just do it all the time. And I was always like, it's just such a red flag. Like, you know, if you're moving so many schools, I don't care what the situation is. Uh, like it's just a red, it's always a red flag to me. And I would think the same with him, but I mean, who knows what Kiffin's thinking, you know, about it all. He probably doesn't seem to care or he's just worried about the Vikings, you know, and you never know, but <laughs> you know, or the Jaguars or saints or uh, the bears or the Raiders or any team that'll offer him a job. Uh, so we'll see what happens with it. Now for the real football. We've been about a month before we got to the fastest growing segment on American soil. It is soccer corner. We have huge news. I don't. You got. I think you were tagged in a stray in this thread from a couple weeks ago or last week. We have a listener who lives in London. Did you see this? That invited you to the Crystal Palace game. I think it was an open invitation to either one of us to go across the pond. He said enough of this Brentford shit. So I guess I will have to convert if this thing ever actually happens. But uh, I knew we were a big deal overseas. So we have that open invitation. Uh, if 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 we ever end up making it um, across the pond, you know, this Ukraine situation's getting pretty hairy. If we get drafted, maybe we could take a pit stop. I'm not really sure. 
but we have an invitation to go to an EPL game. <laughs> Are we already worried about being drafted to go fight a war that's not ours? I thought about uh, – I thought about – That's the most American thing ever. I think they would just take one look at me and then I'd be like, also, I have contact lenses. They'd be like, get the fuck out of here. Get I have here. COVID. Does that disqualify me from the draft? <laughs> I think that should disqualify you. We, we had a Navy fighter pilot on a couple weeks ago, and some dude had – a minor defect in his vision, despite having 20-20 vision. And they're like, you're done. You're done with flight school. Like, that's it. So. I, I, it's, it's where you said I had a good friend who uh, ended up going to the Citadel and was working to be a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And he had, like, a small impair in his vision. It, like, ruined his dream. Like, because truly. Because you're looking at astigmatism, which all that means is your eyes slightly misshaped, like, very yeah. slightly. And, like, now you're out of here, which is nuts. So, I don't think we're going to get drafted. But if we ever do make it across the pond, we have some hospitality over there. So, uh, shout out to that guy. I really appreciate it. What's been going on in the Premier League? We now have Man City at the top of the standings. I don't believe that was the case the last time you and I did one of these. Seems like Man U's reeled off a couple. They had a nice West Ham victory. What's been going on? Yeah, City uh, is kind of taking a stranglehold on this whole thing. Uh, they had a weird tie against Southampton last, last week. Uh, Chelsea has had some weird results. They've kind of fallen back. Uh, Liverpool has had their two best players playing in the African uh, kind of the Europe, the Euro Cup version of Africa that's still going on right now. So they've been missing like three or four of their most important players. So they've had some weird results. Um, and if you just want to go look up what's been going on in that Africa competition, it is it is comedy at its finest. Uh, we beat Brentford 3-0 on the road. Oh, that, that, was awesome. that was tough. Yeah. Uh, but Brentford is about to sign. Christian Eriksen, who, if you remember that name, he is a player from Denmark, awesome player who, uh, during the European competition, uh, almost died on the field, if you remember oh, that. Oh, I do remember this. Yeah, so he is probably going to sign with Brentford here in a little bit, so that's cool for you. Um, here we go. Don't worry about it. Uh, it's turned out to be what it always is. You've got City, Liverpool, Chelsea, United, West Ham, Arsenal, and Tottenham at the top. So all the best seven teams are at the top. <laughs> uh, the bottom three are kind of what they have been, Saudi, United, Watford, and Burnley. They're out of relegation, though, and it's, I'm guessing it's here to stay. They, they caught up to 18, so that, that they're safe, yep. right? So they're, it, they're, it's the bottom three. Oh, shit. I thought it was two. Never mind. No, it's the bottom better, three. Uh, uh, but they're already starting to make some signings. They're already uh, splashing out some cash, and that that whole process has started already. That the transfer window, um, Everton is at sixteen. That's a club that is already fired their coach. Um, they're in a just a shitty situation. If they get relegated, that's bizarre. That that's unheard of. I don't think they will, but. It's not unheard of now that you said it's top three. I'm just going off simple math. It's only like three points clear. Yeah, no, they're not. They're close to it. I mean, they're they're right in that conversation uh, with them and Leeds and Brentford, who are kind of like on the edge of this thing. Um, though I think their their quality will will overrun it eventually. But um, we're in the international break right now, so no soccer, no Premier League soccer for a while. Uh, I think the U.S. has their uh, World Cup qualifier on. Th- their first one of this window on Thursday night. So that would be tomorrow night. Um, last thing I remember, we're in good shape there, right? We had a huge win the last time I asked this and we were okay. Yeah, we're, we're in pretty good shape. I think we're second in the table. The top four qualify automatically. Uh, and we have El Salvador on Thursday. 
uh, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, okay. So that'll be a, that'll be a big that'll actually be a huge game. And then I, they play the next one like on Tuesday, and then I think another one uh, the next week. So the next Thursday. You know, we lost to that country that I didn't know existed last time to not make it. From the position that the USA is at right now, this would be a bigger fall from grace to not make it at this point, given the hay they put in the barn. Yeah, I think there's like a bizarre but possible mathematic way to qualify during this cycle, these okay. three games. Uh, I don't think they're going to, but they need to – they have two home games against, I think it's El Salvador and maybe Costa Rica that they uh, – let me just check. It's El Salvador on Thursday. On Sunday they play at Canada, which is a huge game. Canada's in first, but they're without their best player. Um, Alfonso Davies, and then on next Wednesday they have another home game against Honduras. If they win all three, you can just book them in the World Cup. Okay. Uh, if they go, if they go two out of three, you know maybe they draw one and win two. They're they're basically in. If they somehow like drop two, or they draw all three or something like that, uh, then you can kind of get a little bit nervous because they've. Canada is a team that hasn't always been good that actually is this year. Um, but I think there it would be a pretty uh, pretty embarrassing and shocking fall from grace if, uh, if they were to not make it. Last Premier League t- thing, the, you start, once you get to eight, you start getting to the clubs that I would have never heard of before we started doing this segment. After the top seven clubs, you've got the Wolverhampton Wanderers and Brighton. We've talked about Brighton before. This has to be a raging success for whatever this Wolverhampton thing is to be in the top eight. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good year for them. They're the team that I've mentioned a few times. They have, like, the connection with the the, the Portuguese, oh, the Portuguese team. team. This is the Portuguese team. And they uh, they have, like, all the, por- all the young, like, really good Portuguese players. Um, so, yeah, I mean, they're, they're actually a really good team. They're, they're well coached. And the eight is pretty big for them. And then Brighton – they like draw every game one one, so they're just kind of holding steady after a good start. But um, they're, their goal differential is zero. It is even. Yeah. No, I swear. Like I think they their last five games. Actually, I'm gonna pull it up just to look. So their last three oh, yeah, games, they have twelve draws. Yeah. So out of the three out of their last four out of their last six games have been drawn one one, and then. Three games before that, they drew 1-1. I mean, they, they just draw all the time. Uh, but they actually are pretty good. Uh, but they just kind of, you know, they get results away and they win a few at home and they draw a lot. That's crazy. They played 22 games and you've walked away with a winner or a loser in 10 of them. That might be the most British-European uh, team of all time. Maybe the most soccer team of all time. This, uh, this has been Soccer Corner, the fastest-growing segment out of American soil. We woke Walden Rodenberg out of hibernation. I appreciate the time. We'll be in touch, I'm sure, soon as spring and all that gets ramped up. But uh, go get well. Enjoy the offseason, and uh, I'll holler at you here in a few weeks. All right. Appreciate it. All right. That is our show. I appreciate you guys making it to the end and making us a part of your day. We'll be back with the Mailbag Friday podcast, The People's Holiday. Get your questions in on Twitter, email, wherever you want to contact me for Mailbag Friday and participate in The People's Holiday. Have some AFC Championship game picks with Greg as well as we kick you started on the weekend, which should be a great weekend of uh, football, college basketball, what have you. You guys have a great Thursday, and we will catch you tomorrow.